I'm Megan. I'm Colin. And this is Pet Sitter Confessional. Confessional. An open and honest discussion about life as a pet sitter. Brought to you by Time to Pet and Pet Perennials. How do you speak dog? What does it mean to watch a dog's body language and start interpreting what they are trying to communicate and tell you while you're around them? We speak with Garrett Stevens, owner of Stevens Family Kennels and Dog Language Center today, where he describes his approach to understanding dog language. We also learn more about how we can build relationships as opposed to reinforcement in training. He also gives us some great fundamentals that every pet sitter and dog walker should have in their tool belt when they start working with people's pets. Let's get started. Yeah, thank you, uh, Colin. This is a fun little uh, opportunity here for us, and so we appreciate the invite. And uh, yeah, um, basically been studying dogs for the past 17 years and been working with them professionally, 16, almost 17 now. Um, as a trainer and then eventually as a kennel owner where, uh, our Stevens family kennels has uh, 4,000 square feet. So it's not a small place. It's not a giant place either, but it's, it's a fairly large facility and we get to, uh, help a lot of, a lot of families, a lot of dogs, a lot of people. So 17 years ago, and it used really key word there that I love. You started studying dogs. What got you studying them in the first place? Well, I'm a huge uh, animal nerd, always have been. Started with like, when I was a boy, dinosaurs and lizards and frogs and all that kind of stuff. I had lived in Florida. And uh, so <laughs> you've got uh, some living dinosaurs there and catching them and, you know, messing around with the, the tree frogs and the little lizards and seeing the gators and the whole deal. But it kept, uh, you know, spreading. And my parents were very good at at, uh, you know, kind of encouraging the curiosity and um, any kind of thing where I wanted to let my mind play and go down those roads. So, um, it, you know, it, it, it kept, just kind of kept growing. Um, and from there, basically before, right, you know, when we got married to my wife, Amalia, uh, I had wanted to say, okay, <laughs> got the wife. Now I got to get a dog, you know, no. um, <laughs> kind of just going on the checklist. No, not yeah. really, but, but a little bit, right. I, we wanted to get a house and I, I wanted to make sure I had a house with uh, a fenced yard so I could get my first pup, you know, as, as an adult and do, do this thing, you know? Um, so before I even did that though, I, I started, you know, reading everything I could and, and getting really into it. I'd go to Barnes and Noble and sit there and exhaust all that. And then it kind of just spread from there more and more. And once I got my first pup, um, when, when neighbors and family and uh, at first they thought I was a little crazy because they were like, oh, why can't you not letting a puppy just jump all over me? And, and this kind of normal greetings and stuff. And I was kind of, you know, very into training. So uh, but then after a couple months of that, when they saw my pup at like six months old, seven months old, could bring in the groceries and, and do all this weird stuff, <laughs> um, it, it, it really started to spread kind of a little bit of a local reputation. And then uh, vets even said, oh, you could be a trainer. And I was like, well, I kind of am very into it. And then I started reading and studying even more very specific books on, on behavior and training and wolves and dogs and canines and, you know, the whole deal. So it, from that point, it kind of started spreading and, and uh, it was a bit of an unorthodox start as far as uh, that kind of beginning because I didn't just do what other trainers were doing. I mean, I was a little. But then I started to kind of question all that stuff. So, Well, so how would you describe your approach to training and your philosophy? Yeah, so we like to say that ours is different. And if it's growing, then good. I, I, I don't know, of course, uh, of what the, uh, the training industry is always going to be adapting. And it should be. Uh, we're, I'm always kind of critical if, if things aren't close to nature when you're working with nature right mm. if you're going to be dogmatic about something it should be about the dogs and what they do so our, our training approach is different we do begin by questioning everything and uh sometimes i think that there's behaviors for trainers out there that kind of don't do that and and sometimes the industry itself lends itself to limiting that that questioning, that curiosity, because they're like, this is the dog and we take the treat and we make it do the sit and that's, that's it. And I'm like, basic is good. I like basic, 
But I think that sometimes we need to observe nature more and say, well, well what does the mother and father dog do in this situation? They, they're not equipped with, with treats. They're also not equipped with, with, uh, with prong collars and shock collars and any of that stuff. So you can take both sides of the spectrum. And then what we try to do really specifically in our, in our behavioral work and our work with clients is we subtract what we can. So a lot of training is we're going to add the watch me. We're going to add the down. We're going to add the stay. We're going to add this and add this excitement and motivate you. We're going to become Tony Robbins to this dog <laughs> to motivate this dog and motivate this dog and get this dog in the highest performance state. And I said, that's awesome. If you're doing dog sports, it's awesome. If you're a canine handler and the dog is a professional working dog, but what we've discovered is that uh, most clients and most dogs across the earth are not professional working dogs. And, and, and so we look to actually not just add, we usually subtract and say, well, what can we streamline? What can we take away uh, and, 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 and reveal the nature, the awesome nature of a, of a dog and, and get that uh, kind of calmness going? Because let's face it, a lot of people have busy lives. They actually don't need a pumped up dog in their house most times. <laughs> or if we're talking dog sitting, we don't want to watch a lot of pumped up, hyper, out of control dogs. <laughs> <laughs> Right. No, right. Yeah. There's a, there's a lot that, uh, that gets built up, I think, especially over time with dogs that kind of compound, uh, with, with more with older dogs or more mature dogs that I can definitely see you're kind of stripping things away. But when you get yes. a, a new dog that, that comes in with, an, with, an, with an owner, what, how do you start going about assessing what needs to be removed in that dog? And what are, what are some common things that you find? Yeah, that's a great question, uh, Colin. I I love that because how how I think that how to is is key um, because instead of just me putting my program on you and your dog, uh, I want to discover what's what's what kind of first. And the beautiful thing about dogs, one of the things I think everyone or most people are drawn to them, is because they're going to be honest. And they're, they're just, it is what it is. If I'm a fearful dog, I'll let you know I'm afraid. If I'm a, a more controlling dog, I'm going to try to control everything through touch and, and space and movement. If I'm hyper, I'm going to be hyper all the time and, you know, whatever. They're going to be very honest. And, and uh, so what we look for when, when they say you get out of the car and bring your dog to a, either a training appointment or to be kenneled, we can see a lot of how the dog is interacting with the owner. And we, I look specifically to touch and how, how is the dog touching the owner? How does the dog try to att that initial attempt to touch us? And it doesn't just mean through, is this dog going to bite us or not? Um, that's very clear, of course, <laughs> if they're going to try that. But a lot of people don't know that dogs are super, we, we say they're smart, but what I've kind of think I've discovered over the years is they're incredibly socially smart. And, you know, there's tests out of the Max Planck Institute, I think it is in Germany, where they outsmart chimpanzees in certain intelligence tests because they're cheating off our paper, so to speak. They're, they're reading the human face yeah. or they're seeing the human eye contact or the human hand motion. And technically, they don't have the brain capacity to even do it, but they do it. So if they can outsmart a chimp and, and socially they've been living with us for millennia, they can also manipulate very well. <laughs> so, and I know some people don't like hearing that because they just want to love on Fluffy. That's Fluffy. Let me love on Fluffy. Mm. But it's very good to take an honest approach. So what I look for is, did the dog try to overtouch me? Did the dog come up and lean against me? And a lot of people interpret that just as love. But I have to take a, a deeper approach in our in our work. So I can't just say, ah, we'll just chalk up to affection. <laughs> every, every touch from a dog, even if it's kind and they're seemingly happy, um, is not, cannot just be, I, I just love you and that's it. It's, it would be a nice fairy tale. And I think a lot of people do believe that. But what I found is they can still love you and want control. Just like my kids. I have four kids, right? <laughs> and me too. I want control over their bedtime. You know, they're young. 
So as a loving father, uh, I still want that control. But a lot of times we don't realize our dog may care a lot about us, but still seek to control through touch and space and movement and then uh, energy. Those are kind of what I what I call the four pillars of dog language, not including the smelling and tasting, which is a, a huge bulk of it. But I don't include that as far as our, our training methods, because I'm not going to go up and smell the dog's butt. <laughs> thank, thank God. <laughs> Yet, who knows? But, but, you know, always evolving, I guess. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That, that's that's in the future. I'll leave that to the kids now. <laughs> <laughs> well, and I think I think that's a really um, interesting thing to remember as just as pet sitters were coming into dogs spaces in their own homes, or they're coming into a kennel or, or boarding facility a lot of times, and many times we're we're trying to read their body language, but we do yeah. forget to look at how they are living in the space. What are they trying yes. to, how, how are they existing, right? They treat their environment away uh, a certain way. And then we enter yeah. as a new element and we have to be looking for not just the side eyes or the ears or what the dog is physically doing, but what they are doing around them and how they're trying to control that. That's right. Because uh, any animal, of course, on, on the planet is very concerned with their space, their environment and every little thing within it because it's a survival you know mechanism it's a survival technique so they have to it's like a huge deal if you observe dogs and how the older dog especially yeah i love learning from the older calm or socially skilled dogs and when how they interact with a fearful dog with a skittish dog with an aggressive dog with a, a hyper young pup or or just with another uh, calm dog that they're getting along great with um it's it's very interesting how they pick and choose do i ignore this which speaks of i'm tr trying to trust you over here other dog but i'm also taking away my eye contact to let you calm down a little bit do i address this i'm going to turn my eye contact towards you and kind of say hey hey this space is mine that's enough now settle down um or do i just switch to play so those are usually like the what i call the three elemental parenting techniques from older dogs, uh, they you which ignoring speaks of trust, addressing speaks of respect, and then play is that other you know discovery and. But it's it's very nice because even after play, there should be calmness. Even after the ignoring says, "Hey, get out of my face, calm down." The addressing says, "Hey, I told you a couple times with the ignoring. Now I'm I'm coming toward your space, and uh, how they interact in the space is is." really key for, for good behavior. I think that's a very common scenario, especially uh, the past couple of years where people got new dogs and maybe they had an existing dog, an older dog, and they're trying to do this introduction. That's, that's a thing that a lot of people experience. And that can mm -hmm. stress out a lot of pet parents because they have this young puppy coming in and the older dog does a lot of addressing, as you said, kind of correcting these behaviors. Yes. Yeah. And a lot of times that can be misconstrued as uh, lashing out or aggression or it's this and they start stressing and worrying that they've done something wrong yeah yeah that's exactly right the, what i usually suggest there if, if people are concerned about that is they the older let the older dog correct as long as the older dog you know isn't very skittish itself because they then they're going to tend to overdo it and yeah. and also another key to look for physically is if they come flying off the bed to go out. Like it's one thing to snap near. It's quite another to get up and go all the way across the room because then they can teach the puppy fear and, and, and that kind of thing. What, what I love about this discussion is it's really revolving a lot about the language of dogs. And, you know, the name of your, your business is Stevens Family Kennels and Dog Language Center. So what, why did you decide to, to lean into that? And, and what does that really mean to be a dog language center? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So dog language to me is, is it means we can finally move beyond training and kind of try to get into actual talking. We can kind of start forgetting reinforcement. I always mention this one, forget reinforcement, focus on relationship. And to me, that's a huge um, issue in, in the dog training world and with most most people we see because we're so hung up on, okay, I, again, I got to add this, this thing and say, no, you, you just have to start 
moving a certain way or or touching a certain way or being aware like we mentioned about the space of what, what what's happening in the space here and the more you do that uh it gets simpler it gets easier and everything on the training side of things even advanced training when we're watching a video and we see an incredible belgian mal uh you know doing incredible tricks i say i always have to question after i watch that video i say it was a great job on the bike sleeve it did great flipping off the building doing two flips and catching the frisbee but i have to say could i trust that dog calmly at home without my instruction Mm. without me telling it precisely what to do could my three-year-old, that's the youngest of the four, pull on the dog's ears and be fine? Now, of course, I teach the three-year-old, don't do that. But at the same time, we want that dog to have a great understanding of relationship, healthy relationship and healthy communication and language that says, oh, my, I know this child committed a social faux pas in dog language, but I'm a mature older dog, so I can forgive it, right? And sure. forget it. <laughs> I don't have to bite it, right? So it gets to be simple. And that's what I love because uh, Bruce Lee had a quote simplicity is the last step of art and that's kind of how we look at our our stuff now is that it's the art of dog language and it's it i'm trying to simplify stuff uh, uh they all have quotes on that all these famous guys right einstein whatever if you can't explain it simply enough you don't understand it well enough something like that um <laughs> so we're trying to i, I want to dumb it down as dumb as possible for me and then for for everyone because then you get the fastest result and, and i don't want to just say fast for speed but uh the best results all around for human and dog well i think too that starts getting at a lot of questions about like when when that happens when does this start and i noticed on your email signature you have this quote by uh, robert stevenson that says don't judge each day by the harvest you reap but by the seeds that you plant and as i'm hearing yes. you talk about what you're trying to do with the dogs in your life and with your clients lives it's all about setting these little things right now that are going to expand and grow in the future that's right. It's everything's like a garden, you know, and a lot of people, uh, you know, if we go back to the touching kind of thing or the dog language of touch, space, movement and energy, it, it begins with touch, right? Because that's the dog's first sense. They're born blind and deaf, Helen Keller style, right? Um, so how important was touch to Helen Keller? <laughs> right? right. If you can't see, and most people know that dog puppies can't see for a couple of weeks, but they don't know that they can't fully hear for like three weeks. So that's mm. the last sense to develop. So if if we're doing what you and I are doing now, a lot of talking back and forth, the human words, you know, probably eighty percent of the dogs out there would just be like, "I'm not listening. I don't care." <laughs> <Right>? <laughs> but but if you go back to touch primal touch which doesn't mean you're hitting a dog or any of this stuff i'm talking about touch we we have many different ways we touch the dogs and they're not always exciting here's a good little test a lot of a lot of dogs even friendly 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 dogs you go to pet them and they might say i see your energy and i raise you a hundred and they're gonna say keep keep doing it keep doing it and they'll wag and they'll jump and again remember we usually just interpret that as love and it can be but it can also be a little bit of a one-up touch and eventually over time like you mentioned the garden that that can grow like a weed into you know i've been dominating kind of through touching pet me now who told you to stop give me a massage pet my belt i'm gonna sit my butt on you 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 scratch here do this pet me now pet me now pet me now until soon they're just like really rude and they're knocking over kids and they're bumping into old ladies and they're they're doing all this stuff and we have to kind of say hey back off a little bit just like that older dog would say when the puppy's introduced my space is my space and you're the new kid on the block you have to kind of steadily build that i i find it very fascinating that um usually people do the exact opposite of what older dogs do with the pups people because they're so cute and and we appreciate beauty and all that we're we're fawning all over the puppies meanwhile the puppy's like you give me all this attention which i did not have when i was with mom 
mom, mom had nine of us, <laughs> right? Mm-hmm. The puppy's thinking this. And she, she kind of started weaning us at three weeks old by walking away three and four weeks. And then started even maybe depending on the, the pups and the breed and the, the tenacity, maybe even growling or even snapping at us come five, six, seven weeks to say, get away from me with those needle teeth. And then we get the cute, adorable puppy and we, we give it constant eye contact and attention. And that can drive any dog or person nuts, right? We can all think of like a movie star that had too much attention, too much fame or some childhood, I don't know, Macaulay Culkin, God bless him. He, he kind of ruined his life for a while there, right? Yeah. He was in Home Alone, got so much attention. And then, then what happened? You know, so same thing with our dogs uh, quite a bit. That's a very modern thing that happens. Yeah. Over, so you go ahead. No, I was just going to say the over-attention is something to beware of, and uh, you want to claim your space. It doesn't mean you walk around all the time like a gorilla, but it does mean if a dog comes and touches you, I just want them to touch you respectfully, which does not include you know jumping all over you or sitting on your foot or leaning against you all the time or, or pawing at you all the time or licking you nonstop, because those are the little seeds that can grow to be more, more and more touching through the mouth. Mm-hmm. to eventually going to a bite yeah over well, time well that's a, a, again a really good reminder to be cognizant aware watchful studying the dogs yes. that we encounter and when we're coming into their space how are they interacting with us have you heard of time to pet dan from nyc pooch has this to say time to bet has been a total game changer for us it helped us streamline many aspects of our operation from scheduling and communication to billing and customer management uh, we actually tested other pet sitting softwares in the past but these other solutions were clunky and riddled with problems everything in time to pet has been so well thought out it's intuitive feature rich and it's always improving if you are looking for new pet sitting software give time to pet a try listeners of our show can save 50 percent off your first three months by visiting timedpet.com slash confession i'm a pet sitter and there are pet sitters listening and dog uh, walkers and trainers what are some things that they can start doing whether to work with their clients or on their own when they are taking care of pets to start setting up some more healthy boundaries and relationships with those dogs so one of the main things that i love is the initial thing so if you're looking to influence behavior um look to the bookends of behavior the beginning or the end, right? Um, and let's take this touching. We'll go with that more because that's a big part of dog language. Yeah. Um, y- you walk into someone's house and you're like, oh, hi, I'm, I'm here to, you know, watch your, water your plants and, and of course take care of your dogs while you're gone on vacation. Um, and they, the dogs come running up and most people want to, of course, show and kind of sell themselves that they love dogs to the owner. And that's very understandable. However, if you can delay the, I'm going to come down and let these dogs, you know, rub all over me and and I'm going to acknowledge them and try to ignore a little bit more Uh, in the beginning, you're kind of setting the tone to make the relationship much, much easier going forward, which doesn't mean you're being rude. You can still give a pet or two, but you're trying to give your attention to the, the human not the dog so much, yeah. especially if the dog is trying to really be pushing. <laughs> yeah, which does happen an awful lot. Uh, yes, yes. It, it, as you said, it's a more modern uh, problem of these over-affectionate or over-touchy uh, dogs that are yes. trying to, to push those boundaries. And it's our, our role and responsibility to come up and set those early uh, and kind of set the tone for how that relationship is going to be. If you guys can focus on the... Uh, dog language, it, it will start to eliminate some of the fluff in training. And uh, I, I always suggest working a decent heel in the beginning because it's a chance to bond shoulder to shoulder with a dog. But then it also, it, it doesn't, it gets them exercise, but it gets them mental exercise as well as the physical exercise because they have to play Simon Says and watch your leg and the whole deal or watch the toy or watch the treat. I'm not huge on treats because those that can backfire in the long run. But um, you can use treats, certainly, of course. Um, but we want to try to go to the heart of the issue and meet the dog's needs instead of sometimes just masking it with, with, with petting and coddling or masking it even with training. See, we see that sometimes. Sometimes we'll have a, a police uh, canine handler bring his dog to us for, for a session. 
And this dog has had, you know, thousands of dollars spent on training and it's a very obedient dog, but it still, whatever, bit the wrong person or, or went after dog, a dog its own kind or isn't good with dogs or something like this. And I said, well, what happened? You have some of the best obedience in the world. What, what happened? But I say, but you don't have, the dog doesn't have like, you don't have an understanding of dog language to the person. And the dog doesn't have an understanding of its own language many times if it's dog aggressive or dog reactive. Uh, so that means we want to want them to learn genuine dog language, uh, which means the human isn't manipulated by the dog little tricks and little one-ups and touches and spatial movements. And then we, they both parties get to achieve calmness much better. They get to reach uh, more maturity, which is, I think, kind of rare among dogs. I'm not just talking about maturity because the dog is old. I'm talking about behavioral maturity, which means uh, I have self-control. The do- the do- this is the dog. The dog has self-control. The dog doesn't have to react, but it can respond intelligently. Well, I think at the core of that is building that that trust. And as you mentioned, doing something yeah. like is just starting as as with that basic getting a decent heel in because you're starting to communicate with one another. You're learning their mannerisms. They're learning mm-hmm. yours and how you're going to interact with together and doing those simple things and, and staying up to date on them helps build that. So you know what to expect from one another. When it, when it comes to other things about dog language, what are some things that you would recommend dog walkers and pet sitters know and start practicing? Just one more thing, if I can add to that about the healing, you're also, once you're practicing a decent heal, it's actually, you know, the the dog is looking up at you and they're, they're walking beside you. The next step is for you to take away your eye contact so that they can, you know, I almost sometimes will tell clients, you're earning leadership points the more the dog is looking at you and you're not looking at them. Because that's that's something all older dogs do, all older canines do. You can observe this on the nature programs. You can observe this, whatever. You can watch a lion on the on the you know an African plain, and the the younger ones are there trying to bother, and he just looks away. He's kind of saying, "You follow my lead, but uh, I don't need to constantly micromanage you." And that's sometimes where I clash heads with a lot of the industry advice for training um, because they want. To say, well, this dog can go to its bed and stay, and this dog can do this and this. But I say, but why does he have to do it hyper, number one? Number two, what would he do if you weren't telling him exactly what to do? Does he, because they're this smart. That's what, that's trying to be my message to everyone, is they're smart enough to not have to be constantly worked, which is usually very anti-training advice. Because most trainers say, you got to work them, you got to work them, you got to constantly give them a job. And I said, yeah, but in the first book I wrote, Dog Myths, um, I, I, I mentioned how most dogs are now semi-retired. So I, I don't need to constantly work them. <laughs> right? <laughs> Especially, picture this, you have an excitable dog. You just got your rescue pit out of California, wherever. I'm in Washington, so we get a lot of uh, dogs from California and Texas. Uh, they come up in the rescue uh, circuit. And I got this rescue pit or pit mix or whatever, um, or whatever, hi- hyper chihuahua or something. But he, they're already, the dog is already hyper. So now I'm going to take and add excitable training to an already excitable dog and then somehow expect calmness. Hmm. That does not, that's not a good equation. Also, it's against nature <laughs> and it's against common sense parenting. So (laughs) I like to qualify whatever we do with, does this line up with nature? Number two, is this calming? Because calming is, is, is key for, for actual leadership in, in animals, right? Mm. Uh, Number three, is this going to get us results that are, that are what the, you know, the client wants and what the dog needs. So it's, it's very interesting, but sometimes taking that eye contact away to bring it back to the healing thing or whatever, when you walk in the door, it's saying, I'm trying to trust you. Uh, It's saying everything is fine. And so instead of me coddling the dog, if if I have a fearful dog uh, or or a client has a fearful dog, I don't comfort it and say, it's okay. Instead, I look away because that's what the mom would do. Uh, is to signal that everything's fine. If it was an emergency, I'd have to look at you. I'd have to come lick you. I'd have to come nudge you. I'd have to, you know, try to do something, but sometimes doing nothing is the answer. It reminds me, we had a client a little while back uh, who was going through training and she had a big, she kept saying, 
I don't want a robot, but I, I want yeah. the dog to be able to be themselves. And, and what I'm hearing from you is um, there are training methodologies that they go into these um, c- command action, command action, where the dog yes. is always obeying. They're very good at it, but they, yes. don't have this, they don't have this balance in their life. They don't have this self-sufficiency and self-reliance and self-confidence to know that they have agency in, within certain contexts and boundaries. And so it really sounds like it's all a lot about setting balance and knowing yeah. what that balance is. So for you, when it comes to balance, is that a, I know you mentioned earlier about you kind of assess for each dog, but, but how do you know when something, when a dog is in balance versus being out of balance? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, because balance is seen in all of nature, right? And, and we try to teach anyone who's willing to listen, you know, the way of the dog, so to speak, <laughs> and how, you know, how the parent dogs and the older social example dogs will do things. And I use my dogs daily in our uh, training business. And yeah, they're in and out of the kennel too, as are the kids and as are. So the, the dogs are getting ex- super exposed. That's another huge thing, of course. The more exposure dogs get, mm-hmm. um, even dangerous dogs, the, the more normal they get, <laughs> right? Normal, what we would, what we would call normal in, in our modern society. Yeah. Because a lot, we're, you know, we're asking quite a lot about for a, for a modern dog. In the old days, they were just employees and do your work and kids don't mess with that dog. It'll tear you up, you know, whatever. Uh, and the kids weren't amazed with that anyway, because I think they were more connected with nature and outdoors anyway. So they knew, uh, to me now in the modern world, dogs are one of our last links to to the earth and to, to nature. But anyway, back to balance here. <laughs> it, it means, you know, to me, it also means as a behaviorist trainer and, and kennel guy or whatever, it means I'm free to disagree as gently as possible, um, but directly to with a rude dog or a, an aggressive dog or a fearful dog trying to freak out. And I don't have to be brutal in any way. It also means I can agree and not have to bribe it with treats or reinforce constantly. See, because with my older daughter, she's 13. If I am always reinforcing everything she does, I'm doing her homework half the time. Soon she can't do anything. She can't operate right in life. There's, yeah. there's, a, there's the balance there. So when we talk about with dog stuff, I talk about firmness mixed with calmness, addressing and ignoring. Um, and, and the problem in a lot of training or a lot of dog human interactions is they're, they're, they've got the hyperness. They can pump up a dog. They can pump up the pup in the training world. Or, but they, they're very, it's rare to find the ones that can calm them down. And so you always want to have both sides of the spectrum, sort of a yin-yang type thing. You need to be able to have that, that trust that when you're not there, um, things are going to go well. And that yes. they are still going to obey it whenever you are. Yeah, yeah that's right. That's right. And, and, and to me, and now I'm even sometimes saying to people, well, listen, you, if they come, especially with the mindset, of, I got to work this dog because some do and others come with the, I don't want the robot. And it's sometimes we need to make the dog a little bit more robotic and obedience because it needs to still listen. Yeah. Other times we have to say, Hey, listen, you've got all the obedience. Your dog needs to relax and have some freedom, learn to smell again and not be rude and this kind of stuff. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Well, and I think, I think part of that, uh, you know, you mentioned the word maturity earlier, and that was maturity of character, maturity of dog. Uh, so what role does maturity play in training? And, and how do you know whether a dog is mature or, or not? Yeah. Yeah. To, to me, when I think of maturity, I think of the ability to make you know, sound decisions, good decisions, um, to have self-control. Uh, so, and, and the dog, that means that really the dog has control over its energy. It doesn't just practice constant high energy because in nature, picture the coyote in the backwoods there. It, it would just die if it used constant <laughs> high energy, right? But yeah, because if, if we're being honest, a lot of dogs, if they just suddenly had to go back to work in the wild or, or even on a farm, they would die because they're so used to freaking out at the mailman and freaking out at this and freaking out over that, mm. right? Yeah. Instead of saying, oh, you know what? I can still bark a couple of times and I can relax and have understanding of that mailman comes every day. So I don't need to lose my mind here. <laughs> Um, now to me, the maturity is, I I'm free to say, instead of the training, we can actually cultivate the real maturity in the dogs where, like you mentioned, like we talked about, um, 
they don't need to be micromanaged and they're, they're not, they're no, they move to me. It moves them from employee to family member and maturing individual. Uh, because a lot of people, if they're keep harping on about work, especially in my industry, the trainers and all that, the trainers and behaviors and those doing board and trains, they're saying, you got to work them. You got to work them. You got to work them. I say, well, is this an empl- a furry employee or is it my family member? Yeah. Um, and, and that's it, wild because it agrees with primal nature. Like the coyote example is saying calmness is good and, and the balance, but it, you know, it also agrees with, the, it helps a dog in the modern world saying, calm down. <laughs> well, and, and I know, uh, public perceptions around dogs has been increasingly moving to the spectrum of, they are a family member. I mean, something like 60, 70% of people polled in the United States said, no, this is a family member. If I'm if I'm a pet sitter and I notice that um, the family wants the dog to be a family member, but they aren't acting like it, but they actually are being trained, they're actually working on training to be an employee. How can I start having a conversation with them about maybe trying a different technique? Right. Yeah, that's that's where it's a little tricky, right? Because I'm sure that's a majority of, of of cases that disconnect where. The industry is saying, well, do this and, and pump them up and give them these, these rewards and, and make them do tricks. And half of which is kind of frivolous, um, but good for <laughs> certain companies, bottom line, <laughs> selling things. Yeah. Uh, but, you know, they, I, I try to open them up to the idea that I think you want calmness in the household, correct? <laughs> I'll ask questions like that. <laughs> yeah. We don't need more, more tension in most cases. Now, again, with the caveat of that balance being tension is what keeps my instruments in tune. Tension is what helps grow the muscle as long as, and that can be exercise, that can be heal, that can be some of the addressing of discipline by spatially moving forward a little bit. Saying, hey, back off, don't be rude. Uh, like when one method, just to give you a, a quick example, if a, if a dog or pup tries to jump on us, what we teach our clients is, I don't turn my back unless it's three months or younger, the puppy, because um, then it's ignoring and, and half the dogs I deal with will just jump on your back anyway. They don't, they don't care if you turn your back. <laughs> the, the, I just certainly don't drop treats on the floor or any of that stuff. I step forward. So, and if I can intercept by stepping forward when I see the two signs that all dogs give when they're going to jump on you, then uh, it's even better for me because they don't even accomplish going up. Mm. So there's two signs they give before they jump. They're going to look for eye contact. And, you know, 95% of the time, they're going to try to square up into your center line. So they're looking to, as they're dancing, and they could be happiest dog on earth, wagging their butt and going crazy, but they're coming up. They're going to look at your face and they're going to dance right in front of you. And those are the two signs you say, oh, you're about to jump up, aren't you? So now I'm going to step forward and creating a wedge in the space, which means that dog has to go to the right or the left. Then, And then they calm down. A couple of those reps, dog doesn't jump on you again. Mm-hmm. It's, it's, it's very gentle if it's done properly, this dog language stuff, but I got off topic here. I'm sorry about that. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> no, I think we, what it's because it is, you know, you mentioned earlier, it is simple and many people don't want overcomplicated or they get lost in yeah. the shuffle of the training regime whenever they go back to their home and are trying to implement that in their normal lifestyle. So it's things like stepping into that space. It's things like looking away and avoiding eye contact that are actually a yeah. lot easier and more uh, consistently um, yeah. easy to, to implement in their actual daily lives. And, and way calmer. Yeah. It's the way more relaxed solution than saying, okay, uh, he's jumping on the guest. Go to your bed that's 15 feet away and stay, 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 stay mm-hmm. on your bed. Instead, I just say, hey, back off me a little bit at the front door. And uh, now you can be near. You're still part of the group here. I'm not shunning you or sending you to <laughs> into the outer limits out there, but uh, where the dog, incidentally, if you do send it to the bed, then has to practice even more patience and usually might have the opposite effect because if you freeze a predator's, a predator's movement, even a domesticated predator like a dog, they often will skyrocket the energy. Mm. Think of a lion in the thicket. They're looking at the prey. One Mississippi, oh, they see the, the, the antelope, two Mississippi, the energy's going up while they're still in that bush. Then they explode from the thicket, they explode from the bush, and it, the energy is released on the chase. Hmm. 
So when we freeze a dog, uh, this is also some dog language. I don't know if this is interesting, but uh, when you, if you freeze a dog, you can expect an explosion. And a lot of people train their puppies from a very young age because that's general training advice to be frozen, then have an explosion at the front door when they're going out the door. And then they wonder why the dog pulls or before they feed, they say, wait, 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 look, I've made the dog stay. I'm going to, I'm going to put the food down now while he wait, wait, Hey, stay, stay, stay back. Wait. And then they say, okay. And then the dog, the dog builds and some dogs, they, the, the owners don't even know that they're building food aggression and resource guarding into the puppy because they made it wait so long or because they made it uh, freeze. And then that built the energy and explode. So again, it goes back to those four pillars of touch, space, movement, and energy. They froze movement and then they pump, pumped up energy. That's what the third upcoming book is about. <laughs> a little, little plug there. <laughs> Pet Perennials makes it easy as one, two, three to send a heartfelt condolence gift directly to someone with a broken heart. They have this awesome direct-to-client gift service that takes the effort off of us and ensures a thoughtful, personalized sympathy gift reaches our client or employee. All gift packages include a handwritten card, colorful gift wrap, and shipping fees across the U.S. and Canada. They also offer an array of milestone gifts and greeting cards that can be sent to celebrate birthdays, extend get-well wishes, and welcome new and even rescued pets. Additionally, there are gift choices in case you need to send a sympathy gift in memory of a special human client or celebrate a pregnancy, engagement, or wedding of a pet lover. If you're interested, register for a free business account to unlock the all-inclusive discounted package prices. Since the service is leveraged on an as-need basis, there are no monthly or annual obligation or minimum purchases. Learn more and register by using the link in the show notes and enter the referral code PSC at registration. You'll be given a unique coupon code to save $2 off any packages that you send in your first 90 days. The name of your business is Stevens Family Kennels and Dog Language Center. And so I was curious, you're married to Amelia and you have four kids. Yes. What's it it like running? Did you want some? I have two. Okay. That's enough for me. What's it like running a kennel with your family? Yeah, it's, it's, it's fun. Most days <laughs> <laughs> it can be hectic, can be crazy. Um, we, there, of course, we have to maintain a balance as well. You know, sometimes we want them in there helping. Other times we might have you know a, a few dangerous cases in there, so we don't need them as much in there. We're trying to boot them out because sure. we have a 13-year-old girl, an 8-year-old boy, a 5-year-old girl, and a 3-year-old boy. Mm-hmm. So it's, it's nuts. Um, the girls overall are pretty responsible with it, and I've also uh, kind of hired dad part-time here for odds and ends and property management. So he, he was retired, but I, I pulled him back in, <laughs> uh, back into the working game. Uh, he was never involved in, in my dog stuff at all, but now, now he is, <laughs> sure. um, but my five-year-old daughter, especially, uh, she loves to follow him around and help with him. And so it's good. And of course my wife does an incredible job um amalia is the head of the kennel and all the scheduling for both sides the kenneling and the training and she also is involved yeah she does the books the taxes and the whole deal and now the, you know the kids have been homeschooled too so it, it's insane <laughs> <laughs> that's 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 a lot and i know people may hear and go oh you've got these kids you know as young as three around all of these dogs um, how do you work on educating your kids about safe behavior around dogs? Well, I just let the dogs do that. If they bite that. No, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> uh, <laughs> ah, wait a minute. <laughs> <laughs> the dog warned you. No. Um, <laughs> you didn't see that? No. Uh, well, the, the good news is, you know, the kennel is a large facility. And, and of course, there's fencing and, and, and safety precautions. And I do use them, my kids, I use my kids, <laughs> um, I use them with dogs that are not good with kids eventually as I, as I judge that the dog is ready for this kind of thing. Mm. Now, that doesn't mean I, I trust the dog. You know, I, I, based on this touching interactions and, and some of the discoveries we've made, I don't trust the dog and fully unless I see certain things and see that maturity really growing through the touch. And one quick test for that is, uh, can a dog be touched without adding anything to it or taking away from it? 
that means can I, if I grab the dog's tail, does the dog have to turn its head around and lick me or bite me or, or pull its tail out? Or does it just receive it and do nothing? If I touch the top of the dog's head, does the dog just do nothing and receive that little pet? If I, you know, pick up the paw. So that, that's, a, that's a maturity test for as far as the, the touching and behavior goes. And here's the good news, guys. If you have a dog that can receive any of that kind of touching and do almost nothing, that's a beautiful sign for trust. Um, but anyway, with the kids, yeah, it's once in a while we do have to boot them out because <laughs> we say, hey, we, we just got a new boarder in and they're doing a board and train for, for a two week board and train or something because of uh, some de- real, real aggression on there. And I'm sure those are obviously a, a case by case basis. And, and a lot of pet sitters have either kids of their own or they're working with clients who, who have kids. How can we have better, safer relationships between our dogs and our kids? And you mentioned one about the touch of the, the test of having doing a quick touch and seeing how they respond. Um, but lifestyle wise, how do we bring balance to that relationship that can be kind of unpredictable at times? Yeah, I think one of the main things just to eliminate right off the bat would be meeting the dog's exercise needs. If you meet the dog's exercise needs, and I know we talked a lot about calmness, and everyone kind of wants that. Most most family families with house dogs want them to be calm, but they are a beast from the past. <laughs> where they, you know, you know what animal holds the land endurance record? The dog, right? Because I yeah. the Iditarod, right? So they, they even more than the wolf and the zebra migration and the whole deal, the wildebeest and dogs can do put in the miles. And even if you got a small dog, it should not be carted around or carried nonstop. It, you know, it needs to walk. Walking is awesome. Yeah. You know, even now we know human discoveries about the the bare human foot on the earth on the ground is is very healthy. And, and wonderful, but especially if you have an animal, <laughs> this animal needs to be touching the ground and walking and burning calories and panting. I've seen a lot of people recently over the past, especially the past decade, where they're, they're almost like very concerned if their dog is panting now. And I say, say it's okay. It, it's a beautiful system. <laughs> this, car, this cardiovascular and the tongue coming way out and, and the whole deal. We, we have to let it. Yeah, yeah. Let, let it work. It's very good. Um, and as we know, when, if we ever exercise, you usually feel great after. Or you, you start to ache like I do. No. <laughs> as I get older, my, one of my knees is starting to you know, act up. But anyway. <laughs> Yeah, and I think that's, again, part of a reshaping the dynamic of what it means to have a family dog or a family pet of we view them as family, so we need to be training and treating them as such, but also still recognizing and bringing that balance back in yeah. of going, they still, the, the dog still has physical, mental, emotional, relational needs that I yeah. have to meet in some way and appropriately for them. Yeah, and uh, so uh, you get get rid of the exercise. You do that right away, and then while you're exercising, of course, you can be little little bit of training in there, working the heel, or a little bit of what we call play training, where we focus the prey drive onto a toy, uh, things like that. But then even that has to have an off button because you don't want to just get a pumped up lunatic that can obey real well if there's a toy, <laughs> right? Yeah. Because this this is what most people they, they I think initially. Most dog owners think that's what they want. If he just obey, he wouldn't attack that other dog. And I said, yeah, but that's a surface level thing. You have to tell him to watch you or sit while the dog walks by. What if he was so skilled? He could just say, how are you doing, Buford? I'm, you know, Fido here. I'm going to smell you and be fine. And maybe we'll play and maybe we'll just walk by. Who cares? That's what we're looking for. The core of the issue. Not uh, not masking anything with tricks, um, no matter what way they say, whether it's positive or punitive, because that's a big war in the dog training industry, too. I say, you're both crazy, positive or punitive. You don't need – just like if I'm parenting, I don't walk in the door at the end of the day with my kids and say, all right, who's getting a present and, and who's getting a spanking or going to their room? There's more to the relationship than the positive or the punitive. Mm. right it's an actual relationship with communication and love and different nuances and uh time spent together and all that stuff so the more they question what the dog is doing it's like what does that touch mean that i think that's a good starting question um 
And if they need more on that, the dog myths, the first book does go into more of that stuff. It's called dog myths, you know, like a false belief, a myth, because what you believe about dogs can come back to bite you because I named it that because there was, there's a lot of things that, that aren't really so like, we all think that when a dog flops over and shows its belly, that that's just submissive or apologetic. Mm -hmm. And we've all been taught that I disagree with that. You know why? Because spatially, they do that to just get away from your space, like Muhammad Ali would dance backwards to get out of the other boxer's space. So it does not mean most times, now there's always exceptions in I before E's except after C's, but it most times because a human is taller than a dog and our hands are up here, uh, up, you know, if we're standing up straight, they're not down near the ground where the dog has just flopped or the puppy. So it's very interesting. Now, if I was a snarling older dog, and a puppy flopped or a younger uh, insecure dog flopped over, that would be legitimate submission because the older snarling dog is within touching distance of that dog's neck. So it, that's the space and the touch. That's a little example of kind of the work we do and the discoveries we've made at the Dog Language Center. We've mentioned and given some examples of um, hyper dogs or dogs who may be showing signs of aggression or just trying to figure things out in their world. A, a really common one that's actually grown in not popularity, but uh, occurrence, uh, is separation anxiety in dogs. Uh, it's, yeah. it's kind of really through the roof and everyone's uh, dealing with it. So walk us through some things that we can do as, as sitters and dog walkers to start addressing that, as well as equipping our clients with the right tools. Yeah, that's a, that's a great one, especially because, you know, dogs grow up so fast and rescues adjust so fast for good or for bad, right? Um, usually most rescues are not all of them. Some of them are on their worst behavior the first couple of weeks, but most of them are on their best behavior the first couple of weeks when you get a rescue dog. And so they're testing out everything. Who's in charge? What's what? Am I allowed to do this? Can I grow this? You know. But anyway, um, the second book I came out with in 2018 was uh, called So Long Separation Anxiety. Very short different read if anyone's interested, but it's about spatially adjusting the anxious dog. So there's no drugs required. There's no peanut butter in the Kong or any of that common stuff. Um, and I think it's kind of sad when, when the drugs are kind of taking a, a, a forefront for this issue, when uh, more exercise and more of the spatially adjusting can really make a big, big uh, splash in it towards the issue in a good way. Um, but you know, it starts, it starts with exercise and that proper here, like we went over, then we would go right into the touching and the spacing and, you know, how we need to be very aware. Like we talked about what, but you want to set what's allowed or not, which means if you have a dog with separation anxiety or you're dealing with one, a client has one, you don't certainly want to coddle at the wrong times, mm -hmm. which is usually when the dog is trying to push it on you and demand it. <laughs> So you, have to, you, you have to have a, a fairly gentle rejection policy of, ah, I'm not going to pet you now because you're, you're pushing it on me constantly. Yeah. If, if you calm that down, I'll call you over and I'll pet you. <laughs> um, so what's allowed and what's not in the beginning of the relationship is very, very key. Um, and then, you know, how the, the, how the difference of an inch or two can alter the dog language and can grow or diminish separation anxiety. One quick example would be, uh, excuse me, say you put a dog in a crate, a puppy or something, or a dog or rescue, and they're right at the front of the door, right as it's closing. It's almost on their nose. Now, this isn't always a sign, so please, if you have a dog, don't freak out. <laughs> not, I'm not condemning your dog, saying it has separation anxiety, but there's always exceptions to the rules. But for the most part, if a dog is right there, right as the door is being closed or the, or, the, or the front door is being closed and the dog is like right on your rear, right on your leg, right at the door, they're kind of saying, I, I don't really agree with this. I, I need to go or I, I need to not be in here. Um, and does that mean we just give them what they want? Certainly not. We have to go to work and go, go to Costco and whatever, <laughs> do some shopping. But it does mean that we have to learn how to spatially maybe back them up a little, calm it down, and then make our departure or close the crate door or what have you. Um, so the difference of an inch or two 
makes a, a big difference in dog language, just as it does the difference of a letter or two makes a difference in a word uh, or a sentence. So with separation anxiety, yeah, we, we have to drain the dog's body of energy. And then we have to start learning this uh, body language, being very aware of what the dog is doing and what they're expressing, because they will, just like a human toddler, express their needs. If a human toddler is getting whiny, say my three-year-old, well, well, what does he need? Does he need to be uh, go to the potty? Does he need to you know, get some food to eat? Does he need to some attention, some playtime? Does he need to be ignored? At this moment and say, hey, grow up. You got to keep, you know, growing up because you're going to be leaving the nest soon. Uh, no, just kidding. <laughs> not, not that but, but you know what I mean? But yes. you know what I mean? There's, there's, yeah. there's times to address. There's times to ignore. There's times to say, hey, get off me for a second. I'm, I'm doing this. And in a minute, I will give you attention. So where we're directing attention is critical and where we're not directing it on the uh, separation anxiety riddled dog. Uh, a lot of people... I give an exercise. One of the exercises in that book um, is to practice eye contact denial for like 15 minutes where you don't look at the dog for 15 minutes. It's incredibly hard. <laughs> Yet most people can't do it. It's wild, especially with the dog with separation because they're trying to get constant attention. Yeah. And uh, it's very interesting. But you know who's masterful at it? The older dogs, the socially skilled dogs. So I want to I want to learn their ways. I think it's it's good and helpful to re, to relate it back to things that especially owners uh, and clients can can have more connection with, but especially when it comes to like having kids of like every not you know it's they're not it, just the cry it that that doesn't tell you the same thing every time the, the child cries. There's That's a right. lot there's a lot of context there. There's a lot of history. There's a lot of super sleuthing that that I as either the parent or the owner have to go through to understand what's going on. And then, yes, there is that appropriate time to, you know what, we've checked all the list, all of your basic needs are met, um, it's time to ignore. Or this is an inappropriate yeah. reaction to the scenario, I need to ignore this as um, so that you know, that the child knows, so the dog knows, oh, oh, actually that behavior was inappropriate uh, and I don't get what, yeah. what I want. Absolutely, because love is meeting the needs. Yeah. Right. Because you care, because you love, you're actually meeting the needs. I, I, you know, I, I, I don't like when there's like this false meeting of needs sometimes with, with people and dogs nowadays. You know what I mean? I don't know if you know what I'm talking about, but I, I, or they, they care about it, but it's very misplaced or they're only doing one, but they're only putting one part of the equation in or, or one ingredient in the success soup. And then they, they can't make success soup because they've only got <laughs> one ingredient. I think we well, need the other ingredients as well. <laughs> Come on. <laughs> I, th I think a, a, a common one there is, is either the, the over attention or the over uh, treat uh, giving mm -hmm. that, that yeah. a lot of owners fall into uh, with yeah. the dog, yeah. if the dog whines, it starts expressing itself, and they devote all their attention to the dog. Uh, and then yeah. that that scales that goes back to what we were talking about with the uh, the seed that we harvest. You know, we're going to harvest something at the end of it, whether it's a good or bad harvest. It's kind of up to the seeds and how we cultivate that. And then there's the treating of like, oh, I just give the dog a treat every time it does something, and each one of those is way out of balance than what the dog is actually needing at that time. Right, right. Yeah, it's 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 very good, very true. <laughs> <laughs> well, Garrett, I have thoroughly enjoyed our conversation, and I am so thankful that you have um, helped kind of educate us on um, uh, moving dogs back into balance and us being in balance with them and looking to have more of a conversation as opposed to and above and beyond just looking at training to the things that we're encountering. But I know that there's an awful lot to cover here and that there is so much more and a lot of things that we didn't even get to in this conversation. So um, how can people get in touch with you, follow along with all that you have going on and get access to some of your resources? Yeah. Yeah. Thank you, Colin. Um, well, we, they can go to Stevens family kennels. That's Stevens with a S T E V E N S uh, family kennels.com. That's one way we also have a, a uh, tiny Instagram following. I've, I've been horrible with that kind of stuff, but it's, uh, we're starting to spring it up again a little bit. <laughs> um, so you could look for that there. Um, my third book is, is upcoming. That'll be about the five senses of the dog and the four pillars of dog language, touch, space, movement, and energy. Those are available on Amazon or Apple iBooks or whatever. Um, 
And uh, you could also go to or email Garrett, G-A-R-R-E-T-T, at gstevensdogtrainer.com. Perfect. And I will have all of those links in the show notes to your website, Instagram, and your book so people can start getting equipped with those resources and knowledge today. Again, Garrett, I thank you so much for taking time out of your busy day and time to, to come and talk to us. Well, I appreciate it, Colin. Thank you so much. One of my biggest takeaways from my conversation with Garrett was just the sheer power of observation. And we as pet sitters, we as dog walkers have an immense and powerful opportunity to observe dogs in many different scenarios in different settings across their lifetime. We can then take what we learn from that and help educate the pet parents about what's going on, about what we're seeing. And then we can in turn apply those lessons to other dogs that we encounter. By simply watching and observing the dog's body language, how they use their space, and how they react to touch, and how they use touch to communicate, you'll be better able to meet their needs and help the pet parent. We want to thank our sponsors today, Time to Pet and Pet Perennials, for making today's show possible, and we really want to thank you for listening. We hope you have a wonderful rest of your week, and we'll be back again soon. I'm <laughs> sorry.